Now, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. We want to begin a new series over these next five Sundays, uh, Cheer Up, It's Christmas. And this morning, we want to look at uh, the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of Christmas. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read together uh, verses 24 through 28. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? Colossians uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, which he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Notice now how often the word mystery is repeated. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. The apostle here is speaking about a mystery that has been hidden, but now is about to be revealed. That mystery is none other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the tremendous hope that we have in you, for the privilege we have of knowing you and loving you and living for you. And we pray that we would not miss the central message of this holy time of year. We would understand who you are in new dimensions and understand how much you care for us and how much you are longing to be at work within us for your glory. (coughs) Speak to us now, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth. We will praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In just 22 days, we are going to be celebrating the climax of all history. And the climax of all history is Christmas. In reality, Christmas is his story. History is his story. History revolves around the birthing of the Lord Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection at the doorway of an empty tomb. It's interesting that when God wanted to make himself known to man, he didn't do so by sending a bomb to us. He sent a little baby. A little baby wrapped in strips of cloth. He didn't send legions of angels or all kinds of armies to get our attention. He sends a little Little child, a helpless babe, 
born in a manger to change the trajectory of every one of our lives. Now, who indeed is this baby of Bethlehem? Who is this baby that changes everything? Uh, There are many answers to that question. Some say that the Christ of Christmas is just a good teacher. But good teachers don't claim to be God. Others say that the babe of Bethlehem is just a good example. But good examples don't hang around with prostitutes and drunkards and crooked politicians. To still others, the Christ of Christmas is just a religious madman, but religious madmen don't speak kind words. And Jesus spoke kind words, and he drew women and children to himself. And for still others, the babe of Bethlehem is just a religious fake. But religious fakes don't conquer death in resurrection. Still others believe that the Christ of Christmas is just a phantom. But phantoms don't have flesh to crucify and blood to spill. Still others respond by saying that the Christ of Christmas is just a myth. But myths don't set the calendar of world history. Who is this Christ of Christmas? He is God in human flesh. He is God, the baby, wiggling, crying, needing warmth and love and food and protection. The baby is God's secret weapon in dealing with with sin. Christ is the mystery of the ages. And Christmas unwraps the divine design that God has made for our world. What comes to your mind when you think of the word mystery? Uh, Many people think of suspense or secrecy or surprise or even sudden horror. There are mystery books and mystery plays, mystery personalities. No doubt there are some that didn't come this morning because they slept in after watching the late night mystery, which they figure out after the first 15 minutes. Mystery is something that veils all of life. None of us can be certain what's going to happen next. So much of life is veiled. We don't understand all that is taking place. Life is filled with the inexplainable and the unexpected. The mysterious side of life is mirrored wherever we go. There is a lot of uncertainty in our world today. Life is an ongoing mystery of happenings. In Scripture, however, the word mystery does not mean mysterious. It does not mean mysterious. As used by the Apostle Paul here in the book of Colossians, the word mystery signifies a truth that once was hidden but is now revealed. A truth which without special revelation would not have become known. A scriptural mystery is not something which is hard to understand, nor is it something we must keep secretly undercover. A biblical mystery is a reality that God has disclosed to us so that it might be dynamically announced to the world. 
And here in Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, the word mystery is used again and again in these uh, particular chapters. In fact, in three of the four chapters of this brief epistle, the word mystery is used at least four times. For example, in chapter 1 and verse 26, you have the mystery hidden. Notice verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to man. In chapter 1, verse 27, you have the mystery wrapped in glory. Notice, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, you have the mystery revealed. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete knowledge in order that they may know the mystery of God. There it is again, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then the word mystery is used again in chapter 4 and verse 3. It is the mystery proclaimed. Where Paul writes, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ of which, for which I am in chains. The mystery of which the book of Colossians speaks is the mystery of Christ. And Christ is the central figure throughout this little epistle. In the first two chapters, we have what I'm calling the supremacy of Christ. Because of who he is, in these two chapters, he is to be supreme above all others. And in chapters 3 and 4, you have the sufficiency of Christ highlighted. Christ has come, the mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament has been revealed in the New. And we have glimpses of Christ all through the Old Testament, but when we come to the New Testament, we're confronted with the incredible reality that the mystery that once was hidden has now been unwrapped. It's been revealed. The mystery as to how God is going to restore fallen man no longer remains a mystery. It is something that we can understand and respond to. Christmas heralds the coming of a Savior who did not just come for a few, but he's come for all of us. Though we live in a world of darkness, though we live in a world where there is not much light, the light of Christ has come. It's what we've been singing about. That's what we've been proclaiming. And this coming of Christ on that first, East, uh, on that first Christmas is not only a mystery revealed, it also lets us know about how God feels about us and what he has disclosed to us in the sending of his unique son, the little baby Jesus. First of all, in sending Christ into the world and unveiling the mystery, we have a disclosure of God's nature. You see this in verse 18 and 19, especially of chapter 1. Notice 
of Christ, it is said that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When the scripture speaks of Christ here in verse 18 as being the firstborn from among the dead, it doesn't mean that Christ is a created being. It simply means that he existed prior to creation. Prior to creation, Jesus Christ was, he was a member of the triune God. And he is God. This is the main emphasis that Paul wants us to grab onto. And you see this again and again where it says that God was pleased, verse 19, to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, Jesus Christ is not a snapshot of God. He is God himself. Remember what Jesus said to those who were critical of his leadership. If you've seen me, he says, you have seen the Father. And it's very interesting that here in these opening verses of Colossians, we have some of the strongest teaching about the deity of Christ anywhere in Scripture. You'll remember that the Christians at Colossae uh, <clears throat> were being tormented and uh, harassed by false teachers. They were called Gnostics who taught that Jesus Christ is not divine and that his death on the cross was no different from any other human fatality. And to correct this attention, Paul directs the attention of the Colossians to Christ, the mystery that is no longer the mystery, but rather the mystery that has been revealed in verse 26. Notice, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. This consciousness of a conquering Christ is so vivid in his mind that he declares in verse 18 that because Jesus is God, because he is not a, a, a mere representation of God, but is actually the fullness of God himself, that he is to have supremacy in our lives. He is to be the preeminent one. There's only one person that deserves that kind of allegiance, and that is the Lord Jesus. He is God in human flesh, and because of who he is, he desires that we as his followers make him supreme in every dimension of life. In verse 19, he tells us why Christ is to be so honored. Notice, he says that he is to be so honored uh, because of the fact that Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, it's because of who Christ is and because he is the fullness of God in human flesh. Notice also that he is the one that reconciles all things to himself. And he's also the one who makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, this is, the, this is who this baby is. He's the one that brings peace. 
He is the one that brings hope. He brings joy. This little baby is God in the flesh who demands our absolute supremacy. And this is what drives the agnostics crazy. It's what causes the agnostic Peter Hitchens in a forum that was held in Australia several years ago entitled The Festival of Dangerous Ideas to say this, quote, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy that remains is the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God raised from the dead and that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter, unquote. There are those today that dispute that Jesus Christ is God. They dispute the resurrection. But my friends, on the authority of the word of God, it makes it very, very clear that Jesus Christ is God. He is God in human flesh. He is the God who has come to change us to make our lives brand new, and he is the only one who can give us a lasting peace because he shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. He reemphasizes his truth in chapter 2 and verse 9. Notice, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, notice, in bodily form, you have been given Fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. So what Paul is saying to us is simply this, that in Christ and in no other is the fullness of God. Christ is not God-like. He is God in human flesh. The word deity, as you see it there in the text, describes the very essence of God. And as I've already mentioned, Jesus uh, turned to his disciples and said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But the key to understanding the mystery of Christmas is encompassed in that word, the deity, chapter 2 and verse 9, lives in bodily form. Put a circle around the word bodily. Christ is not only God, he is God in bodily form. The baby in the manger is deity clothed with humanity. Christ pre-existed with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God from eternity past. He was the sum total of God during his earthly life, and he is presently the sum total of God as he intercedes for us, even at the Father's own right hand. If you want to know what God is like, Sometimes our little children will ask us the question, Mom or Dad, what is God like? We need to point them to Jesus Christ because he is God in human flesh. And it's because of who he is, because of his divine nature, that he has the right to rule and to reign in all of our hearts and lives. There has never been another individual born into humanity like Jesus, and there will never ever be anyone born in humanity that is like Jesus. He is absolutely unique. He is the mystery that God revealed to a lost world. 
He doesn't keep the secret to himself. He has unveiled the secret by sending the God-man, that little babe, into our world to save us from our sins and to help us to live lives that are pleasing to Almighty God. Number two, not only does this mystery that is unveiled reveal God's nature, it also discloses man's hope. Notice last part of verse 27. God made known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, there it is, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, our world today is desperately in need of hope. In fact, the futurists, no matter if they're secular or Christian, paint a very bleak picture about the future. In fact, George Barna says that the millennials uh, today probably are more hopeless than the previous generations that came before them because uh, we've lost the sight of the American dream. We've, we've lost so much. Uh, the environment's been taken away from, uh, from them. They're, the affluence, young people, from what the researchers say, will never match the affluence of their parents. And hopelessness seems to be something that has gripped all of us, whether we're young or old. Have you ever stopped and analyzed how often we use the word hopeless? Uh, when a situation or a circumstance overwhelms us, we say, oh, it's a hopeless situation. This, 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 this will never work. Uh, when we try to accomplish too much in one day, we, we say, oh, there's no, way I can, uh, there, there's no way I can get this all done. When our children and teens exasperate us, we say, my kids are hopeless. I, 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 I don't know what to do. When a natural disaster or tragedy suddenly strikes, and takes the lives of so many, we say, there is no hope. But I have good news for you this morning. There is hope in a hopeless culture, in a hopeless world, and that hope is found not in things, it is found in the person of Jesus Christ, because he brings bright hope. Notice, he is the hope of glory. And that word glory speaks of a bright light that almost blinds because of its brilliance. You'll remember that was the kind of light that blinded the shepherds when they received the announcement from the angels. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory, that's that same word, the glory, this bright light shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You see, this hope of glory is, is something that is supernatural. It is, it is a hope that defies anything that we can understand from a human standpoint. Mankind is not doomed to hopelessness and despair. We have the unveiling here in this particular passage of Scripture of Jesus who is the hope of glory, the mystery of the ages has been made known. And he takes our spiritual darkness and he turns it into a bright day. If we know Jesus Christ, if you have a 
personal relationship with Christ, just right now, understand that he lives in you. (laughs) And wherever you go and whatever you do and whatever you're involved in, he is there. He is the bright hope that lives within us so that we can live this supernatural life we have been given by God. It overwhelms me to realize because I am a Christ follower, I have the living Christ living in me. No wonder Paul's aim is to make known this great hope that is found in Christ. Notice in verse 28 he says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Jesus Christ. It's because he's aware that Christ is alive within him and that that this hope is within him. And that is what propels him to share the gospel, to share the message of hope with those with whom he was in contact with. Paul trained strenuously to make Jesus Christ known. Notice he says in verse 29, he says, to this end I labor. He devotes every ounce of energy to making Jesus Christ known. He he labors, he struggles. He's an earnest contender. He uses every ounce of strength to proclaim Christ because he realizes that it is his energy. Notice the text with all his energy that so mightily works in me. Do you see that this hope of glory, this Christ, is the one who energizes us to proclaim this incredible message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what Christmas is all about. If we miss that, we've missed the whole enchilada. We've missed it all. But aren't you thankful that... This mystery no longer is a mystery. It's been unveiled. Jesus has come. He's changed our lives. He's made us brand new from the inside out. And he is the one that we proclaim. Christmas is a time to proclaim Jesus. We need to make Jesus known in our homes, in our schools, in our places of employment, at the office, wherever we are, we need to let people know that the mystery is no longer a mystery. It's been unwrapped, and Jesus is the hope of the world. And then the last disclosure that the mystery reveals is it reveals a disclosure of Christ's character. And you see this in chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. Notice, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know, here it is, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As to his nature, Jesus Christ is God. He alone is the hope of the world, but in these verses, we discover that Jesus Christ is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. Now again, this is in contrast to what the Gnostics were teaching. The Gnostics prided themselves on their intellectual abilities. They prided themselves on their knowledge and philosophy in human tradition. Notice what 
Paul says about the Gnostics in verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions, the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. You see, he's warning the Colossians about those that pride themselves on human philosophy, humanistic thinking, where everything depends upon them. There's not anything supernatural in their lives. They have left out the true source of all wisdom and knowledge, and that true source of wisdom and knowledge is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, he says that in Christ are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is information or the ability to comprehend the great truths of the faith. Wisdom is the power to take those great truths and relate them to everyday living and practice. He is saying simply this to the Colossians, wisdom and knowledge are not available to everybody, but they are available in Christ. They are hidden in Christ. To search for wisdom and knowledge outside of Christ is to lead to a dead end. Such knowledge, according to their theory, the Gnostics is set forth in the Apocrypha because they were hidden from the ordinary and the simple man. And he's saying to the Gnostics, you Gnostics, you have your wisdom. It's shut off from the common ordinary man. We too Christians have knowledge, but it's not hidden in unintelligible books. It's found in a person. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and everything we need to know to live a godly life is found not in human tradition or books or intellectual activity. It is found in Jesus. It's in him. Jesus is the one who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery God has revealed to man is that Christ is our all and in all. And if you know Jesus Christ, not only have you experienced a transformation, not only do you have hope, not only do you have a knowledge source that can be trusted no matter what kind of circumstance you may find yourself in, you are spiritually rich because you have allowed the treasures of Jesus to become part of your life. You see, Christianity is not an exclusive religion, as was the humanistic tradition of the Gnostics. Unless you believed the way they believed, uh, there was no hope for you. But Christianity is available to everyone because the mystery of the ages has been made known to all. And to know Jesus is to be spiritually rich. He has all the answers that people are asking today. He has the answer to the question, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Without him, there is absolutely no living. The mystery of Christmas is that Christ 
has been revealed. It's no longer a mystery. Jesus is God. Jesus brings hope. Jesus is the source of all spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the unavoidable one. Without Christ, we wander in darkness, we wander in despair and hopelessness. But because this little baby was born, he has brought to us a revelation of who God is. God is a loving God. God is the initiator of our salvation. When we don't even have the capacity to reach out to God, God is reaching out to us. He doesn't let our sins and our trespasses keep him from loving us. He loves us in spite of our sin, in spite of our iniquity. And he cares about us. And he's given us hope. And if we will just trust him, if we will allow him to fill us with his knowledge, with his treasures of wisdom and knowledge, we will be able to stand up to any circumstance, any situation that from a humanistic standpoint seems unsolvable. With God, all things are possible. Now, three men were on a hunting trip together. They were the closest of friends, and on this particular evening, they were sitting around a fire in northern India, swapping war stories. And several weeks before this trip, one of the men had had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and Christ had changed his life and made him brand new from the inside out. He was a brand new Christ follower. And in the course of the conversation around the fire, one of the men asked, what is the most exciting experience you've ever had in life? And the men began to share. First hunter told about a tiger hunt he had been on and how he had stalked the animal for, for three days. And then when he had spotted the cat, how he shot him dead as he leaped toward him. And the second hunter, not to be outdone, talked about his experience in Alaska hunting a huge bear. Everything had happened so fast that he didn't really realize how close to death he had been. However, he reminded his friends that the furry-skinned bear was a rug on the floor in his den. And finally, the last hunter spoke, the new follower of Christ. He said, well, my, my most exciting experience men hasn't happened yet but it will occur only seconds after I die and he went on to share how he had put his faith and his hope in Jesus and had the assurance of life eternal the greatest decision that any one of us can ever make is to put our faith in the mystery that has been revealed, even Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you. You are our King. We bow in reverence before you today. 
recognizing that Christmas is just not a calendar event. It is that moment in time when God became man, when he put on human flesh. He identified fully with us so that we might have the hope of life everlasting. That we might be filled with the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that come only through a relationship with the Prince who has purchased our peace. Lord, for anyone here this morning that does not know you, I ask that in these quiet moments, they would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of trying all the world's ways to knowledge and understanding. I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to put my hand in that nail-scarred hand of Jesus and experience new life. Pray, Lord, that if there's anyone like that here today, that right now they will embrace you as Savior and Lord and understand that life is worth the living because you are alive and well, ruling and reigning in each one of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to get out this glorious truth that the mystery has been revealed, the hope of the world has been made known, treasures of knowledge and wisdom are available to all, who follow the light of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you now and forevermore. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, have a great day in Jesus.